Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This week on the show, we talk with Dr. Andreas Kostenberger on not only the historical fact of the resurrection, but also how we can reignite our passion for this special event in history. All that people had to do to disprove the resurrection of Jesus is to produce his body. That would have, you know, settled the question once and for all. But the fact is, not only was the tomb empty, but Jesus' body has never been found. And so, how do you account for that? I think that is historical evidence. Hey, welcome again to In Doubt. I'm Isaac, your host, and I'm glad you've decided to spend some time with us today and this week. If you're listening and you're a Christian, you'll know that we're approaching Good Friday and Easter. And that's why I'm super happy to have had a conversation with Dr. Andreas Kostenberger on the resurrection for this week. So we'll get to that in just a moment. Firstly, I wanted to share a thought. You know, with culture advancing tremendously when it comes to technology and the internet, it, it makes it easier and easier to get content out and, you know, seen by others. So with little to no money or effort, anyone and everyone can create a blog, film videos, and even write a book and get it published. Now, the issue I, I see with this, the potential issue, I should say, is that people begin trying to compete with others to get their content seen above others. So what happens then is that people begin using Things like, you know, we've heard of clickbait or, you know, super shocking things that attract us and make us view and engage their material over others. So even if someone's content is really, you know, unedifying and even wrong, uh, people will engage it. And I think this practice can spill over in the Christian culture as well. You know, Christian leaders and authors and filmmakers will, will try and find, you know, quote unquote, secret or unheard of aspects within Christianity or the gospel or whatever it may be to attract people to that specific resource. You know, I'm totally for original and unique content completely, but when it's done for the sake of gaining popularity or gaining that response of, oh, wow, I've never heard of that before, then I think there could be a slight issue. And I, I say all this for a specific reason. This Good Friday and Easter don't settle for anything but Christ's death and resurrection. You know, the most beautiful, powerful, and indescribable content is found in just that, Christ's death and resurrection. You know, this Good Friday and Easter shouldn't be about some new film or a new song or a new take on the gospel story. It should be the plain and powerful crux of the gospel. I love it. When Paul walks into Corinth, he says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So rejoice in that this weekend, that Christ has died and that Christ has risen. Now, let's hear from Dr. Andres Kostenberger to talk about skepticism and the resurrection. With me today is Andreas Kostenberger. Andreas is Senior Research Professor of New Testament and Biblical Theology at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's also written many different kinds of books, including, you know, books to help you with Greek, commentaries, different teachings on theology and faith, and, and more. Uh, it's great to have you with us again today, Andreas. Absolutely. Love being with you, Isaac. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. And uh, to our listeners, if you didn't tune in a couple months ago, uh, you wouldn't have heard Andreas uh, with us for two weeks uh, as we talked about some points from uh, his book, along with two other authors called Truth Matters, Confident Faith in a Confusing World, a very concise, short book that really kind of tackles some of the kind of popular skeptical assertions made about the Bible, about Jesus, about the resurrection, things like that. In fact, our conversation today 
is really the last segment of that mini-series because we didn't quite get to it last time we were together. So um, before we jump into that, Andreas, I know we have such a short period of time together, but for those who don't know who you are, they're listening to the radio right now, they want to know who you are, just tell us a quick little bit about yourself. Absolutely. Well, I grew up uh, Roman Catholic uh, nominally. I, I was not a Christian when I went to high school or even college. I was converted at the, at the end of, of my time in college. I was about 23 uh, over in Vienna, Austria, uh, where I'm originally from. And uh, I was your typical uh, young uh, European university student. And uh, you know, was uh, quite intellectual and was, was just looking for truth and for answers. Uh, had this deep void in my heart in terms of uh, uh, my parents' divorce and just relationships not working out. And 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 then somehow uh, God pursued me. I heard the Bible uh, read to me for the first time, where my heart was open. And uh, it was from Galatians 5, and the fruit of the Spirit, and the works of our sinful nature. And it just uh, stirred a deep longing in my heart to, to know God better, and also a conviction of my sinfulness that, that I, I realized I could not save myself. I needed uh, uh, a Savior, and, and so I was just so grateful to, uh, to find out and to hear what Jesus had done for me in the cross. And, and uh, I accepted that. I, I prayed to, to ask Christ to, to save me and to come into my life. And and uh, I've really never been the same. Uh, for me, my conversion was also my call to ministry. I, I uh, came to the States to go to seminary and then uh, later uh, joined the faculty at uh, a couple different schools. And then uh, the last uh, 20 plus years, I've been serving at Southeastern teaching uh, the New Testament uh, and biblical theology. Yeah, it's so good. All right. So um, thank you for sharing that, Andreas. I think it's helpful for people to kind of get an understanding of the voice that's uh, talking to them. But all right. So w- what I'm going to do now is quote uh, Bart Ehrman, who is a, a popular uh, New Testament scholar. Uh, who went from being a believing Christian to a skeptic uh, when it comes to things about the the physical Bible and and Jesus and Christianity of, as the religion and so on and so forth. Obviously, you know more about that than I do, Andreas. But and then, Andreas, I, I would love for you to respond uh, to that quote, and then we'll sort of springboard uh, from there. Especially now, since we're talking about Easter, this is a very uh, pertinent topic: the resurrection. So here is Bart's quote in reference to uh, the resurrection. This is what Bart says. But then something else happened. Some of them began to say that God had intervened and brought him, that is Jesus, back from the dead. The story caught on and some, or all, we don't know, of his closest followers came to think that in fact he had been raised. And I'll also quickly just read 1 Corinthians 15, 14, in which Paul writes, And if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Vain. So here we got Paul saying this. We got Bart saying this. Help us out here, uh, Andreas. Absolutely. Well, uh, to uh, initially counter uh, that quote with another quote from N.T. Wright, who's a, a leading uh, scholar, he says the historian may and must say that all other explanations for why Christianity arose and why it took shape it did are far less convincing as historical explanations than the one the early Christians themselves offer, that Jesus really did rise from the dead on Easter morning, leaving an empty tomb behind him. So I just want to uh, right uh, from the start point out that there's other scholars 
who look at the same uh, evidence, who arrive at a very, very different conclusion uh, from the way Bart Ehrman does. And I think, uh, you know, in many ways, as we talk about, as you mentioned, in Truth Matters and, and also in Truth in the Culture of Doubt, which is a little more in-depth still, uh, we point out that that the root issue is is not, you know, lack of evidence uh, or lack of plausibility or reasonableness. It's really this deep-rooted skepticism that I think is really something for, for any intelligent person to to watch out for, because once you've uh, you've adopted this highly skeptical stance, it's almost impossible. You've set the bar of evidence so high that that you know you're demanding virtual certainty, and nothing uh, is likely ever to dislodge that skeptical uh, stance. Whether it's toward the Bible, like we talked about last time, whether it's about uh, you know why does God, if He exists, allow suffering? Or, you know, whether it's about any alleged contradictions in the Bible and so forth. So it's almost like, you know, at that point, anything you look at, you're going to have not just a doubting attitude, because I think doubt can be healthy. It can lead you to question. Uh, and I think as Christians, we need to be very open to to engage people with the evidence. But I'm talking about a skeptic like Bart Ehrman, who you just quoted, who's, uh, I think, one step removed from just doubting or asking for questions. I think he's pretty much already predetermined that no evidence is ever going to change his mind. Wow. Yeah. Why, but Andres, why is it that we're, some of us can be so prone to this skepticism rather than, rather than a doubt? Well, I think uh, Bart Ehrman himself uh, wrote a book called uh, God's Problem, uh, where he uh, talks about the fact that, you know, even though he's a text critic, he deals with, you know, whether or not the the, the Bibles we have today are, uh, you know, reliable copies of, of, of the original uh, manuscripts. But his ultimate problem, uh, by his own admission, is not text criticism. It's not, a, you know, the, a word here or there that might be different in the manuscripts. It's ultimately that he cannot accept that God allows uh, inexplicable suffering. And yet in the Bible, you know, we have uh, multiple explanations of why suffering happens. Uh, and he recognizes that. But for some reason, uh, it, it, it presents an insurmountable obstacle uh, of faith for him. And I think uh, in the end, uh, you know, faith is vital. We, we, we simply need to be open to uh, the reality of evil and the, the problem of evil uh, and the existence of a loving and good and, and, and merciful and, and wise God. There's a certain mystery uh, that we do need to accept by faith and to not, you know, harden ourselves toward. And, and, and there's, there's a bit of a mystery also why some people are able to do that by God's grace and, and others simply uh, find it impossible to to accept that that God would allow uh, suffering, even to suspend a certain amount of you know quest for certainty, uh, and to be willing to go with uh, you know probability. I, at the end of our book, uh, Truth Matters, we quote Tim Keller, and he said, you know, he often talks with his skeptical friends, and he he tells them that even if you don't believe the resurrection, you should you should want it to be true. Because, uh, you know, without the resurrection, we really don't have hope. We really don't have, you know, anywhere to go in terms of uh, hope for the afterlife, you know, hope for true meaning in this life. Uh, and uh, so Christianity offers uh, great hope. It's this uh, wager that, that 
place, Pascal, the French philosopher, was talking about, you know, that uh, uh, are you willing to go with what's less than certain, but but certainly reasonable and probable, or are you going to insist on certainty and and, and maybe lose it all at the end? Yeah, that's good. And I, I this is, it's a good, what you're just talking about now uh, is a good introduction as we sort of approach some of the things about the resurrection. Uh, I think it's important that we sort of touch on, on that fact first before we jump here. So, uh, you know, as I read that chapter about the resurrection, uh, you and the other authors say that the tomb was empty. We're just jumping right into the, the facts here. So you you make it sound, as I'm reading it, that it, that is a fact, that before we start to address different theories, we have to come to the same realization that that there was an empty tomb, that there's not really anything against that. Absolutely. Uh, where's Jesus' body, right? Uh, you know, as far as anyone knows, it has never been found. Uh, you know, all that people had to do to disprove the resurrection of Jesus is to produce his body. That would have, uh, you know, settled the question once and for all. But the fact is, not only was the tomb empty, but, you know, Jesus' body has never been found. And so how do you account for that? I think that is historical evidence. And and uh, whether it's Bart Ehrman or any skeptic, you know, you simply have to to come up with a, you know, a, a more viable uh historical, uh, you know, explanation for that than the resurrection. Right, yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about some of these theories that uh, different skeptics uh, adopt? So hallucination, fabrication, so Absolutely. on? Absolutely. Let's, let's briefly mention it in our book. We mentioned these three, and then that would add a fourth one. The, the hallucination theory is simply, the, the, you know, a psychological explanation that, that, that people, uh, you know, saw some sort of a, uh, you know, in their mind's eye, they, they like a dream or a vision or some kind, you know. But, of course, it's more an existentialist explanation, if you will, that, you know, Jesus didn't really historically rise from the dead. Uh, or physically rise, but it's, it's something that people imagined and maybe saw in their mind's eye, and so they ended up believing it so strongly that that at the end they couldn't really distinguish anymore between uh, reality and then what was really just something in their own mind. Um, the, the 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 second explanation is the the fabrication theory that the the disciples concocted a, a giant hoax, uh, even though they knew it wasn't true, uh, which involved stealing the body. Uh, and so, you know, in the end, of course, uh, you have to ask yourself, how plausible is it that a large number of people would simply fabricate something and then uh, follow through something that they knew was not true? Uh, thirdly is the so-called swoon theory, or there's others' names for it, but the idea that Jesus wasn't really dead. He was only unconscious, uh, and, and, and or that perhaps an imposter died in, in Jesus' place. Uh, but again, you have to ask the, the, the same set of questions, you know, how plausible is that over against the, in some ways, more simple explanation that Jesus actually did rise from the dead. And, and perhaps briefly, fourthly, uh, I think Bart Ehrman actually breaks uh, some new ground. He, uh, his solution for the empty tomb is that there really was no tomb uh, and uh, that, that, that Jesus was actually not even buried. Uh, the reason why he says that is because in the earliest uh, creed, it does not actually identify the person who buried Jesus. Now, uh, you know, which the Gospels say uh, he was uh, Joseph of Arimathea, and so he then concludes from the fact that we don't know, or the identity is not included in that creed, maybe then 
since there was nobody to bury Jesus, maybe he wasn't even buried in the first place, which, uh, again, you know, seems to be a, a bit of a, of a jump. And again, I just listed those four theories without necessarily uh, critiquing them, because I feel it's important first to try to understand what the essence of those uh, different theories, alternative theories, uh, is, make sure we understand uh, what critics are actually alleging before, you know, trying to succinctly critique each one of them. And my overall assessment is that in each case, the it, it takes more faith to believe those alternative <laughs> yeah, theories totally. than, uh, you know, faith in the actual historicity of the resurrection. Yeah. And, you know, as you're talking about, just as an example, the hallucination theory, you know, uh, if it was just, if Jesus just presented himself uh, you know, to, you know, 12, the 12 disciples, let's say, I, I can maybe believe a little bit more that, okay, that could be the 12 of them could have hallucinated. But then, you know, we read Paul's account and again, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. So we would have to say that 500 people plus were all hallucinating, which is very not probable. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, people like Ehrman realizes, uh, you know, realize that that's a bit of a problem to think there's a mass hallucination going on. So he actually <laughs> disputes that. He actually disputes that account, believe it or not. He says that that really all we know is that maybe three or or four people uh, saw the risen Jesus. He says Peter, Paul, and Mary Magdalene. He grants, interestingly, even as a skeptic, and then he says possibly James. And uh, you know, I would say, well, what about someone like Thomas? Right? He was actually a skeptic. Uh, himself, right? I mean, he was unlikely to have fabricated uh, this. Uh, and what about Paul, for example? Of course, Paul really was not looking to meet the risen Jesus, totally, right? He yeah. thought he was an imposter. So so again, it, the implausibility of people like a Thomas or a Paul fabricating, you know, or just hallucinating is just... Uh, like I said, it takes a lot more faith to believe that than to believe that, that the risen Jesus appeared to them. You know, that's so good. I'm so glad you're able to kind of help us through some of these uh, facts and things like that, Andreas. I think of my own uh, family. My parents did not grow up in Christian homes, and they were actually saved at a church in downtown Vancouver, and the pastor was giving uh, an apologetic on the resurrection, and that is what that you know turned, the Holy Spirit just turned my parents' hearts uh, towards the Savior. That's why it's so powerful. Uh, the resurrection is so powerful. So, Andreas, moving now from more of that apologetic dialogue now, I, I really do want to hear your your response to this to this thought and question. For the, for the Christian, Easter can, uh, for, a lot, for a lot of Christians, can become so normal, so mediocre, just something that they do every year, like Thanksgiving, you know, the, 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 maybe the music has a little bit more, you know, bigger production, all those different things. I'm wondering, Andreas, as someone who's just spent their life uh, digging into the Bible, can you reignite our passion and our zeal for this event, for this day? Perhaps we're missing something from Easter that we need to reflect on once more. Yeah, I love that question, and I love the way you draw a connection between the resurrection and Easter, because, of course, uh, at Easter, that is at the heart of our celebration. And, you know, when I did uh, work on, on, on my book, The Final Days of Jesus, what I what I rediscovered is that Christianity is all about a person, about Jesus Christ. It's it's not just a set of beliefs and and affirmations about you know kind of a set of abstract truths or a creed or a catechism that we 
uh, recite or memorize. It's uh, Christianity is all about Jesus, who who preexisted from eternity, who was born of Mary, who lived a sinless life, who who died on the cross for our sins, who was buried and who rose from the dead on the third day. It's it's all about Him. So. The truth of Christianity stands or rises with these facts about Jesus' life and person. And I think that's why the resurrection is so important. When you think about other religions, uh, they're about, you know, some some maybe mystical communion with the divine. They're about self-improvement. They're about good works and, and make yourself acceptable to God. Christianity, by contrast, is, is about Jesus and what he's done for us. I remember even as a... Uh, you know, as a skeptic myself, when I first heard uh, the gospel, I was just struck by the fact that there's nothing I needed to do. Uh, Jesus, I simply needed to gratefully accept what Jesus had already done for me. And that was just so powerful. It was so simple, and it was so uh, maybe counterintuitive at that time. Uh, but at the same time, I remember I was so in awe of grace. And once I had discovered it for myself, I just went to, as you mentioned, you know, different members of my family and tried to uh, explain to them that, that it's all about grace. There's nothing we need to do. It's, you know, Christianity is all about what God has done for us in Christ. That's so good. And I'm, I'm wondering, too, that, you know, in Romans 6, Paul uh, says in, in verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So how does this kind of more metaphorical, or is it is it not metaphorical? Is it true? Like, what is he trying to get at there? That's a great question. Uh, and, uh, you know, First Corinthians 15, uh, if anyone is listening, uh, it'd be definitely worth reading because uh, there Paul who himself saw the risen Christ, says that if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then, you know, forget about Christianity. And so this is so vital. And then Paul also writes in, in Colossians 1 that Christ is the first, you know, fruits uh, from the dead. Uh, he was the first to, to, to rise. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Hebrews would talk about that Jesus was a forerunner. He was a pioneer. He was, a, you know, he's the leader of our faith. So he entered heaven as the first, uh, and we would follow in due course. So I think we, we we genuinely share in the resurrection, probably the most encouraging verse in the entire Bible for me is in Ephesians chapter 1, where it says, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now in, at work in us who believe. Just think about that. The same power that raised Jesus, which is the greatest power known to man, right? That same power now is at work in us through belie- who believe. I believe that's through the through the power of the Holy Spirit who enables us now to live the life that God created us to live in the first place. That's so good, Andreas. And you know, for those of us who maybe have family members or friends who um, you know are, I guess maybe are discouraged or they're just sort of distracted by the world uh, at this time of year. What is a, a way that you could sort of encourage us to help encourage them uh, at this time of year? What things can we say and what, what ways can we live and really model this, this the reality of, of the resurrection, how that can apply to us today? Well, I think uh, one thing is simply meditate on the, the many benefits that, that we have in Christ. I mentioned Ephesians 1. That's a great chapter where Paul has this long sentence uh, that stretches from uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 all the way till I think verse 14 <laughs> and he recites all the benefits that we have forgiveness of sins we have actual real 
forgiveness. You look at the world around us, right? And and people don't know what to do with their guilt, with the things they've done in their lives. You know, they're haunted by them. We know that if we confess our sins, right, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, First uh, John 1, 9, and, and the list goes on and on. You know, we, we have been predestined, we've been adopted into God's family. We have brothers and sisters uh, in Christ with whom we're united in, in Christ's body, the church. And, you know, again, as you know, we don't have time to recite them all, but I think that would be a great uh, thing to reignite our faith, to just uh, ponder and meditate on and just give thanks to God in prayer for all the things that he's done for us. Uh, in Christ. That's so good. Well, thank you so much, uh, Andreas. Again, I really appreciate talking with you. Um, if you're interested in this book, Andreas's book that he co-wrote again with two other authors, Truth Matters, uh, you can head to Amazon, pick it up, or go to our episode page, find it there. And also, uh, as Andreas mentioned earlier, uh, for a more in-depth read, look for Truth in a Culture of Doubt, and I'll also put that on a link on the episode page as well. And also, one more thing, head to biblicalfoundations.org. This is a a mammoth, huge resource site uh, that Andreas has created and others, which is very helpful in terms of studying uh, in depth many different subjects of life and faith and Bible and Christianity and different things, family, marriage. I know, Andreas, you've done a lot of work on marriage and what it means to be man and woman uh, and things like that. So definitely head there, listeners, if you're uh, into that. So anyways, thanks again, Andreas. It means a lot. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Isaac. God bless. That was Dr. Andreas Kostenberger talking with us on the resurrection and even a little bit on skepticism. Again, all the links to his books, including Truth Matters, Uh, that we obviously mentioned on the show will be on the episode page. If you enjoyed this week's conversation with Andreas, uh, be sure to check out episode 103 and episode 104. They were actually the very first uh, interviews, the conversations we had for In Doubt for this new year in 2018. Uh, Andreas addresses some very popular skeptical assertions about, you know, the Bible, about contradictions and things like that, about Jesus and more. So I'll put all those links on the episode page. Now, if you did or, or didn't know, let me say that In Doubt is a certified nonprofit ministry. It's a, it's a charity in Canada. Um, every major piece of content we produce, and what I what I mean by that when I say major piece of content is the primary things that we do. So each week's conversation uh, that gets put out on podcast and radio uh, across Canada, which is what you're listening to right now, um, our weekly articles every single Wednesday, our Bible studies like our Jude for the Faith. And our live events, just like the one we did last month on marijuana, all of these sort of primary things that we do as in doubt are given out to you at no charge. You know, we want you to engage with these issues in light of the gospel and be changed and transformed and encouraged and convicted by those things. And we don't want to charge for that. Now, now unfortunately... These things cost us money to do, obviously. So we thank God that every year people do give generously and allow us to do these things. You know, we rely on God's provision this way. So I would love for you to perhaps pray about the opportunity to partner with us financially. If you feel like this is something you'd be interested in and would like to donate, it's super easy. Just click the donate button and then click the I listen to in doubt option at indoubt.ca if you live in Canada or indoubt.com if you live in the States. So thank you so much for that. Connect with us online throughout the week. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Perhaps you have a topic or a person you'd like to hear from. Uh, You can email us at hello at indoubt.com. Well, 
I'm Isaac, and next week we're sharing a presentation that I actually had the great privilege of giving at this year's Apologetics Canada conference. It's on the important topic of biblical friendships. We'll see you next week. Indoubt Ministries exists to bring a biblical perspective into the relevant issues of life and faith that young adults face every day. For more information, check out indoubt.ca if you live in Canada and indoubt.com if you live in the U.S.